is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a podcast and radio show for the new evangelization. I am your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I am Father Andrew Dickinson. And today we're going to actually, we are going to continue. Last week we introduced a series on what is man, talking about uh, the, the formal term, or the more technical term, theological anthropology. What does the church have to say? What does the church have to tell us about the nature of the human being, the human person? And this is going to be an occasional series that we do, occasion, uh, occasion, <laughs> a part of Ignition, Father. Part of your speech therapy. <laughs> My speech therapy, exactly, um, that we'll do on occasion. But we are going to follow up this this week from last week's episode and, and uh, go ahead and do uh, sort of a part two for this series. But before we get into dive into that topic again, or dive back into that topic, uh, I just want to remind you as listeners that, um, well, two things. Uh, first of all, we love your feedback. So if you have an idea, another idea for a topic uh, for uh, for us to discuss here on Ignition, any questions that you might have about something uh, that we've talked about today's episode, previous episodes, whatever it may be, feel free to email me, sfcatholic.org, uh with those ideas or questions or complaints, if you happen to have any of those as well. Again, the email address is cburgwald at sfcatholic.org. And if you didn't catch last week's episode, you can find it at the Diocesan website. So just go to www.sfcatholic.org, and under the media section, um, and then audio, you can find all the past episodes of of Ignition. And we are also... And all their glory, yes. And uh, uh, this is also, for for those of you who do the whole podcast thing, you can find um, Ignition um, in iTunes as well. So all those fun ways to find and listen to us. Right, Father? To find your precious. Yes, yes, exactly. So, so we want what, what Father and I want to do today is well. Let me step back. What we did last week was just look at at a, a, f- a few pages, a couple pages in the Catechism, where it talks about man, the, the human being, the human person. What is man? How did God create us? What does it mean to be a human? What is a human person, etc.? And, and we just started to unpack a couple things. Um, the Catechism has four points that it makes early on in in the section where it talks about the creation of man. Uh, that he is the first is that he is made in the image of God, and the second that in 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 man in human nature um, the spiritual and the material worlds are united. So we are body and soul, but truly one. Uh, and their their th- uh, third and fourth point made as well. But Father and I. I um, just touched or started started to explain and to some degree unpack uh, the first point in particular, and we touched on the second point as well. But we want to go back now and and go to that go back to that first point of how we're made in the image and likeness of God, and what that means in our world, in our society, in our culture today, sort of the application of this teaching that we began with last week, the application of that teaching uh, in our own day, in our own time, in our own culture. So, Father, one of the things that we talked about was the the, the idea of dignity and and how the human being uh, alone, the catechism tells us, uh, this is, by the way, um, 355 and following is the section in the catechism, if you want to look this up, 355 and following. But not in your smartphone as you're driving. Not a good idea. Sue, then, that will be illegal in South Dakota, potentially. Not just Sioux Falls, but the entire state. That's another story. Um, 
What, see, Father, thanks, Father. What was it? <laughs> 356. All creatures, only man is able to know and love his creator. Exactly. The only creature on earth that God has willed for its own sake. And he, man alone, is called to share in God's own life by knowledge and love. And the, the catechism tells us that those things are the basis for our dignity. And, and uh, Father, I think that's a, a, a point, as, as we were talking about before uh, we went on the air, before we started recording, I think that's a really important, to, important point to apply in our day and age because so many people are telling us, well, a number of people, I should say, are telling us, very loud people are telling us in terms of media coverage of new atheism and so on, um, that the whole idea of, of, of God is ridiculous and superstitious and medieval and so on. Um, and, and, and that, that the, the human, we need to throw off the shackles of, 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 uh, superstition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that we can realize our full potential. The irony here, um, that I think it's worth talking about. The irony is that if, if you take God out of the picture, if we're not created by God in his image and likeness and meant for eternal life with him, there isn't a basis, a ground ultimately for human dignity. Right. So, so what do we, what, when I say that, what, what do I mean by that father? <laughs> well, when you say there is no ground, there is no basis for human dignity without that vision, without that right understanding of the human person. Um, you're talking about, when we talk about a ground or a basis, we're talking about something that can't be taken away from you right. by anything accidental to you. These are things that uh, belong to you inherently. So um, there are accidental things about me, not just that I have accidents. I almost had one today going to get my oil change this morning. Uh, <laughs> Glad you avoided that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's interesting. It was at a four-way stop, which is always uh, a bit of a terror in some Oh, yeah. But uh, the car that almost ran into me, uh, the young man, college student, who was driving it, it seemed like his girlfriend was leaning over to try and kiss him on the cheek as he Aww. tried to drive forward, which would have been a very awkward, like, accident scene. <laughs> yeah. You know, they got out of their car, and then it's a priest they ran into. Yeah. Maybe a call for chastity in your life. Yeah. <laughs> so accidental properties are not the fact that I happen to almost have accidents. Accidental properties are things like that I have hair, right? Uh, that I have a handsome beard, that I have arms and legs, right? If I lose my arms, am I still Father Andrew? Right. Right. And I wouldn't be able to function quite in the same way as a priest. Uh, the fact that I'm a priest, you know, uh, again, now we might talk about some things as far as like the order of the sacrament, but at the same time, it's uh, my acting as a priest, as the director of the Newman Center, it's accidental to me in certain senses, right? Right, exactly. Right. And so, but there are some things that can't be taken away from me, right? Uh, my, uh, um, my capacity to know and my capacity to choose, right? Yep. Now, I can maybe temporarily set them aside by intoxication. Uh, when I'm sleeping, I'm, you know, setting aside those powers from them. But again, they're still part of me. But you still have the capacity. Even when you're not exercising those powers, as in the case of sleep or intoxication, you still have that fundamental latent capacity. Right. I can still... I have the power. I, you have the power. <laughs> That's what it's all about, really, Father. You have really. the power. And so uh, when like, some of the, the, the voices in our day that talk about, you know, uh, trying to free man from his, the shackles of God, right, and then their, their notion of this glorious, in their minds, humanity, which uh, doesn't have God as an underpinning, 
or doesn't have God as the base on which they stand on, it also leads to a reduction of man to the things he can produce. Right. Or to the things he can do. Yes. Um, and so, without this idea of, of me having a capacity to know and to choose that which is good, beautiful, and uh, good, beautiful, true, and uh, one, um, without that capacity, uh, without looking at that capacity as my basis, then I'm left with the things I can produce, that I can produce money, that I can produce a benefit to society, that I can produce uh, good cheer in the hearts of other men or something like that. Right. You, beca- you become, or, what, what, what I think unintentionally, the, the consequence of that, that line of thought is that we become a means to an end. Right. Whereas is the, 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 our, the, the Catholic position is that man is the only creature, and in, in, in you read this from the Catechism, um, that God willed for its own sake, for our own sake. We're, we're not just a means to an end for God. He created us for our own sake, not because we can produce, or et cetera, et cetera, as you were just saying. Right. Um, because there, I mean, like, so, and there's all sorts of ramifications. If we go on the idea that you are what you produce, this idea, which is prevalent in our culture, okay, it's part of that stream that we're moving in, going back to the idea of like crush the turtle, uh, from, uh, um, uh, uh, from the movie uh, Finding Nemo, or going back to the idea of in a few good men, you know, just kind of going with the crowd to yep. find the chow hall. Yep. You know, there, there's this idea in our culture that you are what you produce, and that you're only worthy of love or affection. You have to only have dignity by the fact that you are a productive member of society. Right. You, you, yeah. You're as worthy as 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 you're able to make something. Right. Right. And that has all sorts of effects from uh, dating, from raising children, uh, from the way we treat our prison system to the way we treat the end of life. What do you mean? Uh, there's a lot of things in there. Which one do you want? <laughs> <laughs> well, start with the prison system. What do you mean by that? Well, the prison system, right? So how do we view a prisoner, right? Well, in some ways, we have these phrases like, they're no longer a productive member of society, society, they're a plague on society. And we kind of just have this idea of like locking them away and maybe trying to forget about them. Instead of saying, no, they still have capacity. Maybe they didn't use it. Maybe they failed at it, but they still have a capacity to know and to love. Uh, to know the good, the beautiful, the true, the the one, and, and to choose those things. And we should strive to help them uh, use those capacities instead of just locking away and ostracizing them. Aren't they, aren't they evil, though? I mean, at least some but of them? They're evil things. See, as Catholics, Dr. Bergwald, we believe in this notion of uh, hating sin but loving the sinner. Well, Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you have human dignity. And, because he, and you are not the, as uh, soon-to-be Saint Pope John Paul II said, uh, you are not the sum of your fears and failures. You are the sum, rather, of the Father's love for you and of your real capacity, dignity, your real capacity to become the image of his Son. And if you talk about something that's counterculture and radical, Father, I think this is certainly one of the things. The, the fact that we say that no matter, I mean, if you think about the, you know, just the worst people in history, they are 
still creatures created by God with eternal life in him in mind. Whether or not they, they are in that place or whether they're you know, in heaven or hell, the fact is that God creates each and every one of us for himself, uh, as, as, as not as a means to an end, but for, for, for us to be with him forever. Even, yeah, we can't, no matter what I do, no matter what sort of evil I do, how many her- horrendous acts I commit against myself or against others or both, uh, I remain a creature creature that is, is is created by God to know and love him first and foremost and then others as well. Right. And so that and this is again part of this dignity you you can't lose that. I, I can't yeah I I, I we can't so lose it. I can't get rid of it. You 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 still can't lose that capacity. Exactly. And so um which gets into all this other questions, and not to go too far down this prison uh, rabbit hole, but uh, but again, just to see that connection again. That okay, if we go on this function of a productive member of society, and we base our worth solely on what we produce rather than what we are, right? It just leads us into all sorts of other bad places, including also then like how we view our relationships, how we view our relationship with God, uh, and how we end of life issues and others, unemployment. Absolutely. So you mentioned, okay, you mentioned, again, the second time you mentioned end-of-life issues. Can you talk about that a little bit then? Yeah, and so, uh, you know, we kind of have this this idea of being a productive member of society. We also have this idea, closely related to it, of kind of a utilitarianism. What does that mean? Utilitarianism. It's a special type of, uh, it's a a religion. I'm kidding. What? Unitarianism. (laughs) Um, It's utility knife. No. Uh, utilitarianism is a philosophy that talks about uh, that we're basically just supposed to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. Because pain is obviously bad and pleasure is obviously good, right? Right. Right. The problem with that is that it reduces the human person to just being a pleasure seeker. Right. And a pain avoider. Whereas as human beings, again, we can find that we can still have a dignity or a worth or a meaning of our life even in the absence of pleasure, even in the presence of pain. And it's interesting because we see this artistically portrayed all over the place, right? What, like, what, what, what do you mean there? Well, like, uh, the most obvious thing that comes into mind would be uh, the very gruesome uh, but uh, real uh, movie that came out, Lone Survivor, about uh, some special U.S. Special Forces uh, uh, soldiers and their experience in Afghanistan, where you see uh, the soldiers, even in the horrific circumstances, you see the soldiers' dignity and worth and how they strive to care for and love for each other even in a difficult situation. Right. Right? Yep. So, you know, certainly they, they wouldn't want to be in that sort of uh, warfare situation, but they are, and they still strive to choose the good for each other and the, even to choose the good for their enemies in a situation as best they can. Absolutely. Um, so um, this kind of utilitarianism, we don't, uh, when we just seek pleasure for its own purpose... It's not going to fulfill our dignity, and now it's always going to run short. And one of the ways it runs short, then, is that runs short, is at the end of your life. And so, at the end of your life, and maybe at when you're suffering, maybe you're ill, uh, or maybe you have a debilitating condition, condition uh, the the direction or the momentum of this notion of you know making your own worth and maximizing pleasure would say to you, well, then you should orchestrate your own exit. Right? Yep. You can maybe choose to commit suicide as some sort of noble death. Or you could choose to, uh, in some ways, uh, you know, my loved one wouldn't want to suffer. So therefore, I will 
uh, bring about their death through euthanasia. Yeah, and I think it's also another way to think about that and make the point. You're just looking at the word, you, you, the root of utilitarianism, utility, the usefulness. How much usefulness does this person have to society? Right. Um, how much usefulness do I have to society? Um, and that's that's an interesting distinction there, a dangerous turn. Uh, euthanasia, um, when when I choose it, is is bad enough, but you know, how much usefulness do I have? But then when I start, well, how much usefulness do you have uh that's when we especially the 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 slope gets much much slipperier right okay so so utilitarianism um as as opposed to this this fundamental idea of of dignity i think the other thing to do would be to challenge you know those who 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 challenge us and say okay so what do you what, what how do you articulate the basis for human dignity? Because Father, I think and I, we've probably touched on this before, but we're, we're living in, in our, what some would say our, our post-Christian world. We're still living on Christian capital. We still have this idea that everybody has rights. Everybody has dignity, um, inalienable rights and so on. But, but if they, they don't come from the fact that we're created in the image of God to know and love him um, and to be with him forever, well, then where do these rights come from? there's not at least the popular literature at least that's not addressed and honestly i don't think there's an answer right and so the importance i think of of throwing the challenge back and say no here's what we say you might think that the idea of of uh, god existing and us being created by him is is uh, superstitious i say to you it's precisely because this is true that we have dignity and therefore we have rights and that's why it's wrong for me to take your money or let alone kill you uh because you are this creature creature created with fundamental inalienable dignity as you were saying before I, you, the, the quality that we have are irrelevant. We all have this latent capacity to know and love, and we're all created by God. And, and if, if that weren't the case, there wouldn't be a basis for, for human dignity. Correct. Correct. And uh, you can have nothing. And we can see the effects of this in uh, like our current millennial generation, the, uh, the generation that I work a lot with in college, that's in high school, you know, it's just now also entering in the, into the workforce. I'm myself, I'm kind of a borderline millennial. Uh, and You are borderline. Uh, I've known that for a long time. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, <laughs> distractions. Uh, but it also affects, too, us in just our conception of ourself and that we become very eager to earn our keep. Right. Right. And very concerned that we're productive and almost almost hyper-concerned about this, almost obsessive about it. Uh, so we're always worrying. Uh, like it says with millennials, millennials the first generation ever that one of their top five priorities is appearance. Mm. Now you could say, oh, they're really shallow, huh? Or maybe they just have a lot of exposure to clothes. <laughs> and, or maybe it's just the effect of you know media and images all the time. But also it's because they, they want to be accepted. Right. You know, and, and there's this fear in their hearts that they won't be accepted. Where does this fear come from? And I think it comes from this hyper-obsession with productivity, this hyper-obsession and this, this divorce of their dignity from uh, the unshakable ground of their creation, the image and likeness of God. So I won't be accepted. I won't be loved, ultimately, is what that's about, um, if, I don't, if, if I don't produce something that's, that's worth something, that's right. worthwhile. And then working with students that are desiring to enter into prayer, 
one of the biggest blocks of their prayer relationship is this idea that they can't be loved, that they are unlovable. Right. Unlovable maybe because of their actions in the past, right? My sins, yep. failings, therefore why would God love me? Or just that fundamental doubt in there, like how could God love someone like me? Well, that, well I do wonder that sometimes. Well, I wonder how God could love you as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, We're so funny. You tried. We tried. Right. So, okay. So, so I think that's that again, this is just, and there's more we could say, but it's important to unpack this point and the relevance that, that we are in creating the likeness of God that, that has uh, significance for the culture in which we live. Um, the, the other thing too, Father, that we talked about last week was the fact that, that the human person is this unity, this composite of the body and the soul together. And and, and that's related to the first point, but some things, maybe any, anything that you can think of in terms of application of, of, of that point as well to, to the day and age, the time in which we live. Well, the body, of course, is that by which we experience uh, suffering or uh, pain. Uh, the body is that by which maybe our things that we produce are expressed. And so um, if we don't have a balance in that sense of how we look at uh, our body as that means by which we encounter the world, um, when that gets out of line, then we either overemphasize uh, or even start to maybe worship or the opposite, hate our body, to idolize our body in the sense of the pursuit of the pursuit, the pursuit of eternal youth. Uh, the pursuit of uh, maximizing pleasure in that way. Uh, or then we even can to hate our body, uh, anorexia, bulimia, cutting, uh, other forms of kind of self-hatred in that way. Um, and so unless we understand that, you know, no, there, just as there's a dignity to my soul, there's a dignity to my body. Right. You know? Um, <laughs> as a friend of mine, and I think we said it maybe not out of the best spirit, but uh, uh, a friend of mine in the seminary, uh, uh, and this is before my running days, but, uh, you know, we, we would joke about how, you know, yes, I'm in shape. Round is a shape. <laughs> right? You know, people would say, oh, you got to get in shape. Well, I'm in shape. Round's a shape. Um, but again, that my dignity isn't just based in um, that sort of lesser uh, appearance. Right. And, and that's, I mean, the, the, there's the balance there, as you were saying, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, um, idolizing the bo- body. Uh, it's, but, it, but it's also not denigrating the body, hating the body. It's that, 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 that balance in the middle. One, one place I think father, where we see, um, this, this misunderstanding or a misunderstanding of the fact that, that the human person is the body and soul together, um, is in frankly, a lot of, of, uh, science fiction, um, in, in our pop culture film, um, print, whatever have you. Just a simple example that comes to my mind is is the whole idea uh, from uh, Star Trek of the transporter. I've thought, I've thought about this off and on over the years. Oh, okay, well, let's, let's go to Star Trek. Let's go to Star Trek. Uh, transporter. Does, can that work? Not technically, but with the understanding of the human person that we're talking about. Can the transporter work? What the transporter says is my, my, the atoms, the, the, the matter that makes up my body can be disintegrated and then reintegrated somewhere else. What about the soul, Father? Boy, that's a good question. You know, I've, I've wondered about that. I don't know that that could, even if we have the technical ability, if, if we break apart my body, that's presuming that we are just matter. 
I don't know that uh, I don't know that that would work. But anyway. Well, okay, we're really going to go down a rabbit hole. If you want me to think about this on air, but uh, <laughs> we didn't discuss this beforehand. Sorry, folks. No, no we didn't. Because I'm just thinking about like I mean, because if you if you lose a limb, right? So I mean, your body is an integral whole, right? Yep. As you're born, as you're created, but like you lose a limb, right? So you know, I go to check the lawnmower, and I'm not careful, and oh, I lose a couple fingers, right? Yep. You know, but those fingers are no longer me anymore. They're not. Exactly. Yeah. So if they're, 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 yeah, if you're disintegrated and then you try to reintegrate bodily, what about the soul? Anyway, that's what we do. Wow, that's, I want to, you know, I want to say like maybe like some scholastic, Thomistic, like theologian <laughs> from the 19th century probably has an answer that applies here. Probably. But, <laughs> but the point, regardless of whether or not transport, transports could really work when the body, the human person is body and soul together, uh, it, we are both. And the soul too, I think, Father, sometimes in our popular culture, we, we have a love-hate relationship. Uh, we have this, sometimes there's this implicit idea that, that the soul is what really makes us who we are. And then again, you have sort of the the new atheist idea. Well, the, the soul is just a complete fiction and fabrication. Uh, so it depends. I think it depends which shelf in the bookstore you go to. You're going to get yeah. very different answers. Well, you know, uh, some way too of like that that hyper idolization of the body too. That you know, like uh, so there's there's this both and again uh, with, uh, with with the faith. There's this both and that uh, you both. Uh, are a soul and you both are a body. Exactly. You know, um, and so beauty is expressed through the body, but beauty isn't reduced to the body. Yep. Well said. Yeah. So I, and with, I with both of, and we, we have to care for both of them. I mean, so the joking, you know, seminary and joking aside, we, we do have to care for our bodies and our souls, you know, and not, not, uh, I, I don't know if you can be over obsessed. Do you think, Father, another question we did discuss, do you think it's possible just we, we can obsess about the health of our body? Can we obsess about the health of our soul, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think there's an unhealthy, because any time when it turns towards kind of a navel gazing, you're focused on your own soul, sure. no, versus on your own soul, and the spiritual authors would talk about that. Um, and how, I mean, you can think about scrupulosity. I was just, yeah, that would be, okay, a way, a, a species perhaps of, of obsessing about the soul. Very much so. And, uh, like a lot of the Eastern Church fathers will talk about how um, uh, like the devil tries to inspire us with haste. What do you mean in this context? God inspires us to holiness, but the devil inspires us to holiness with haste. Oh, yes. Right. Whereas God inspires, inspires us to holiness um, with, um, uh, with confidence in him. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and trust, trust in, in his time and so on. So, yeah. So, sorry, Father, were you going to say something? No, I was just say, um, I'd like to know where we're going to go on the next ignition, edition of Ignition. Yeah, what, what we're going to do, continue to sort of explain and unpack what the, what the Church teaches, uh, particularly, again, just for now, at least sticking with the Catechism, because it is the authoritative, authoritative uh, teaching document for, for the basics of the faith. So I mentioned early on the third and fourth points of the Catechism on, on what it means to be human. Male and female, he created them, and then man in paradise. So the original situation uh, in which God created us. Uh, the friendship with him, uh, but then also the fact we're created there uh, as male and female. So uh, whether that's next week or, or down the road, we'll, we'll see, right, Father? 
We we shall see. We shall see. And that will draw this episode, though, to a close. Uh, again, I mentioned at the beginning, and, and we're serious. If you have questions or comments, um, things you'd like us to address in future episodes of Ignition, uh, let us know. Email me, Chris, at cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.